Dotnet Rocks episode 733 with guest Scott Willicke. Recorded live Wednesday, November 9th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this show was recorded at Dev Connections November 9th while we were there. And uh, But before we get to this great interview we did with Scott Willicke on all the issues around reporting and reporting tools and data and all of that, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have nearly 200 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as those you hear on the show. They release 8 to 10 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial that's 200 minutes worth of access time to their whole library. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on software practices, including courses on design patterns, test-first development, object-oriented design, continuous integration, and Scrum. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, now let's get to the interview. Hey, it's .NET Rocks at Grape City. And we have a live audience. Yay! <laughs> but it's, All right. it's still morning. It is. Yeah, three days in Vegas, I'm starting to make poor adult decisions. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, the coffee is flowing, however. Yeah. Just don't stand in line at Starbucks. Yeah. You'll never get your coffee. It takes a long time. That, there's another Starbucks. There is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. It's on the, the other side. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a good time we're having here at the Grape City booth at Dev Connections in Vegas. There you go. Last day. Last day. And we're here to interview Scott Wilkie. That's of uh, Grape City. And we're talking today about reporting. Yeah. Which is one of those subjects is just not cool, and yet everybody does it. Everyone does do it. Yeah. yeah. It's always out there. Why is it not cool? It's, I, I think it's very cool, actually. I don't know. I mean, how many times were we told that you know, computing was going to get rid of paper? Ah. Yeah. Well, we don't have to be... I, I think, you know, we do a lot of reporting, and it's not on paper, though, right. these days, right? We see a lot of charts. Yeah, and, we've gotten you know, rid of a lot of paper. Yeah. We're getting there. What uh, were you into uh, active reports and reporting before you started working for Grape City or Data Dynamics or um, wherever you came from? Well, I, you know, I think everybody's interested in data actually, and like seeing a story from data. I just did this presentation on that, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things we talked a lot about. Uh, yeah. Is, is uh, how do you see a story in data? If you look at a table of numbers, you don't see it. So I right. think everybody. Everybody is uh, interested in it a little bit, at least. Yeah. You have some interest in it. Yeah. Right. And uh, at Data Dynamics, actually, my interest really came into play there with Dynamic Cube. If, I don't know. You right. probably remember that. I sure. do, yeah. Back then. And so that was a way for developers to finally use a, a pivot table in their own application. And so that was kind of the first, I guess, from a development perspective and a yeah. tools perspective. That's where I, I would say I, I got started. And so Dynamic Cube. Dynamic Cube turned into uh, the uh, the analysis tool. Yeah, a lot of the same concepts are there. You know, a lot more yeah. visualization and analysis. But yeah, that's definitely where our heritage yeah. comes from. And always, uh, 
It's not quite reporting. You know, there is a difference between reporting and kind of exploratory analysis. Yeah. yeah. There's a, definitely a difference, but uh, they're, they're all related. What was your first reporting programming experience? Huh. You can say the C word. It's okay. Yeah, you can say the C <laughs> word. That's pretty actually, much what you know, uh, around when I first started, actually, I was doing support on Dynamic Cube. So really? a lot of my, the experiences that I remember were actually customer experiences. And customers oh. coming to us and saying, uh, you know, I have this problem. I have this data, and I'm trying to see something. Or uh, I love your product. How the heck do I use it? You know, right. how do I get my data in there and make it work? And so that was I had a lot of... Not one real experience that stands out, but a, a lot okay. of diverse experience. So yeah. I guess I was trying to, you know, because I know what mine was, and yours as well, was, you know, Crystal Reports, yep. Access, Database. Access. Yeah. Trying to, you know, trying to get that to work. And the web came around, and I remember uh, one of the Crystal guys came up to me, and, you know, this was at IIS 1.0. And they, you know, the, the V bits after IIS 1.0 and the, the crystal guy said, Hey, we got a reports running on the server. And I said, now I know how big and clunky crystal reports was on the client. <laughs> You're going to put that on the server. Are you kidding me? You know, that's right. sort of my, my thought. And then of course, reporting services sort of broke down the client server barrier of reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, activereports.net. We've been using that. Since, you know, once I discovered Active Reports, basically I was, what am I doing with Crystal Reports? You know, uh -huh. it was one of those aha moments. It was <laughs> just lean and mean. and Yeah. Well, we were developers and we used Crystal too, especially like Assam and you remember our other founders. They, yeah. they were uh, tortured by Crystal for a long time and, yeah. you know, need is the mother of invention or hatred yeah. maybe is the mother of invention. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it was the product that was in the box, right? That's why you ended up using yeah, it. It was yeah, in the box. Absolutely. It yeah, was, yep, it was the, the one in the box. But, you know, we're sort of crossing between reporting and analytics here as well. I found, as a developer, building reports for my, uh, for my customers and how much impact the design of the report had on their perception of the data. Oh, yeah. You know, you could... I, I got to the point... I got, I got this book. It was called How to Lie with Statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I really read that and thinking about how you create reports because you could absolutely influence people's opinions by the way you presented the data in the report. Absolutely. Right? Especially the statistics. Yeah, well, statistics. as soon as you create a graph of any kind, you're now creating a sort of visual representation of the data that gives people a sort of immediate reaction. And then they look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. But they've already made up their mind once absolutely. you show them the graph. Absolutely. You know, if the line goes up, it must be good. Line goes down, it must be bad. <laughs> up absolutely. good, yeah. down bad. Yeah. 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 And absolutely. of course, the first data point that you pick in the range establishes that anchor. You know, like the book uh, Kelly's reading it now, but Billy Hall has turned, on to, turned me on to this book, Predictably Irrational. Right. Which is about the psychology of, you know, being presented with choices and pricing is the first thing that they talk mm. about. And when you establish a price of a product that's high and then say, well, we'll cut it down, you know, we'll cut down the price for you because you're special. Right. Oh, well, I got to have that, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> right. So it's that it's like a photograph. You're looking at a graph. There's obviously a begin time and an end time. You don't know that before 2000 or wherever my graph starts, it was down in the dirt. You know, you don't know that or it right. was way up high. Right. So yeah. we were just talking, I just did this presentation on data visualization mm -hmm. and how to show data with uh, and visualize data. You yeah. know? And uh, one of the things that I, I talked about in there is that Stephen Few, who writes books on data visualization, he says in one of his books that 
uh, you know, we don't say, when we understand something, we say, I see, like, ah, I see. Right. And not, you know, I hear, or ah, you know, yeah. I feel. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't, because yeah. uh, visualization is a, it's a visual thing, and, and, vi- and our vision is very powerful. So when you take data from having to think about it and add up numbers in your head, and then you can just see it, like, there is the data. And the it's brain really powerful. manipulates visual images. I mean, that's how our brains work. Yeah, absolutely. We're very visual creatures. Absolutely. Uh, so getting into the sort of graphic side, doing your data visualization, do you have thoughts on the different kinds of graphs, why, when you use them, why you use them? <laughs> yeah, you should have come to the presentation. I should have. But that's, what, that's what we talked about. Yeah. For, for the last hour, that's what we've been talking about. Uh-huh. Is there's definitely a, a different uh, bad ways to apply visualizations and good ways, right? They're powerful. So they can be distracting. They can uh, tell the wrong message. They can tell the wrong story. Right. They cannot tell a story and just give you complexity, right? And that's yeah. no good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a whole series. There's a lot. I mean, uh, some of the ones we talked about is like if you want to do comparisons, mm-hmm. bar charts are really good for doing comparisons because the length of a line is really easy to compare one length to another. Right. Uh, right. And, and, you, and you end up clustering them. You have three lines side by side that relate to three elements and then another set of three, another set of three, and whatever's the longest is obviously the best. Yeah. Is sure. there the comparisons certain, are good. But you really should have come to the presentation, man, because <laughs> you're getting complicated. Okay. <laughs> are there certain graphs where the data will dictate which type of graph you can? Like, if you have a pie chart where everything's very close, is it better to have a graph, a bar graph, where you can see that clearly one is higher than the other? Yeah. Versus, you know, yeah. if you have three slices of a pie that are... 31, 32, and 33, I guess. Mm-hmm. Does that add up? Close. <laughs> close. Pretty close. Yeah, whatever it is. Whatever fractions happen there. Um, so does yeah, that... So, and, uh, and can you actually program that? Well, uh, you can. That's like and I like the way you said it at first, that does the, should the data dictate the type of chart? It should, yeah. actually. But you shouldn't start with a type of chart and try to make the data fit into it, right? right? So... Uh, pie charts, uh, you, you talked about comparisons. In a pie chart, usually we're, look, we want to compare some categories, right? Yeah. We have these different slices and we want to compare them. And it's very difficult. If you look at a pie chart and you have these slices that are pretty close in size, but, yeah. you know, one isn't like overpowering everything else. Yeah. Uh, if you try to compare the ones that are similar, it's very difficult. But if you put the same data, exactly the same data into a bar chart, it's really compelling, right? Mm. So that's an example where, Data should dictate how we visualize it and, and your story, too, right? You have a story to tell. Right. So what's the best way to tell your story and make your point? And, I mean, for better or worse, pie charts are relatively simple data set. You, you could display a lot more information in a bar graph or a line graph than mm-hmm. you can in a pie chart. Yeah, sure. But I, it I is, very, again, very visceral. There's one big piece, you know, mm-hmm. right away you know that's the thing yeah. that's important. So, you know, I, I hate pie charts, actually. I'll just, uh, that's okay. my bias. I think you. they're terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I noticed Steve Jobs is the master of presentations, right? Yeah. And we all know that. And I watch his presentations. He uses pie charts. And I'm like, why the heck is he using Surely this guy knows. If right, anyone knows about visualizations, why the heck is he using He's all the way, man. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, man, what am I missing? But if you notice... Uh, he uses pie charts in a case where it's like, he shows Apple, it's over here, you know, yeah. and then it's like Android is this big, yeah, you know, yeah. or something like that. So actually, right. you know, it makes a really, it's, it makes a powerful point if you're trying to do that. So if you're just trying to show like, I own you. He looks like you know, his slice of the pie is eating the other slice. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. He's got a Pac-Man in his He's there. got a Pac-Man, exactly. <laughs> so I think they work, you know, if you, if you want to make a really bit, one big point, I think they can work. But in again, general, again, we, the they're misused. It's the, if the data is roughly in the same ballpark, not a good idea. Right. 
Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, a pie chart where three slices are about the same size not a good pie chart. You want absolutely. It's a simple set of data. I want to show one number dominating the others. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to show that. Yeah, it makes a compelling point, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, for folks who were, couldn't go to your session, including me, <laughs> uh, different. Why would you use a line chart over a bar chart? Um. So we. So the the first thing we talked about is, you know, how how do you think about data? You have to kind of analyze your data and think about how what types of data you're dealing with. And the two easy types to deal with are quantitative and categorical. Mm -hmm. And quantitative things measure things, like sales. We're measuring something with sales. Mm -hmm. And you have categorical values, uh, which are categories. They're groups of something, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a line chart is really good if you have a quantitative value on the the y-axis. So if we have sales, it's really easy to look at sales on the y-axis. Right. And then on the x-axis, we could actually, if we do a quantitative value, it kind of becomes a scatter chart automatically, right? It yeah. could be a line chart. Uh, and uh, time is another thing. Line charts are, anytime you see time data, you want to look at something over time. Right. Line charts are always the, just okay. the, the simple, best way to go. And it always, t- I mean, every time I think of a line graph, even rather than a scatter graph, it's about showing a trend. Yeah. That it, yeah. things are going up, things are going down, things are holding steady. I mean, that's what you really get from a line chart. Abs- yes. A line chart and maybe a scatter chart with a trend yeah. line. Yeah. Right? The trend right. line so, it. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files. The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Can, uh, can 3D be in, get in the way of telling the story? Uh, I mean, a lot of people like the fact that they have their 3D controls, but if you take like a bar chart mm-hmm. where you've got two two-dimensional bars, you can clearly see the top of one. Does it make sense to turn those into columns and sort of rotate them out so now you're looking at them down from a perspective? Does that get in the way? <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. I mean, so if you think about 3D, we're looking at the if we're at a bar... A 2D bar, we're looking at the length of it. Maybe yeah. the width, usually just the length. Yeah. And when you put it in 3D, you know, you have all these other attributes that right. we have to take in and, and understand. And all uh, you're trying to see is which one's higher. Exactly. Usually yeah. that's exactly what we're trying to see. And yeah. I think it's interesting that, you know, you could say that 3D has a whole perspective, a whole dimension that we could put with data, right? With I mean, more maybe it, we yeah. could put more information in there. But usually tools actually don't let us control that axis. It's just right. a checkbox, 3D or not. Yeah. Well, how can you put a whole dimension in a checkbox? But even if you could, really, I think 3D is pretty complicated. It gets it's hard to actually to read the data rel- you know, in a useful way. Absolutely. And you're trying to communicate something. Absolutely, yeah. Less uh, is it's, more. It's distracting and complicated. Less is definitely more in the case of visualization. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and what about having lots of text? I mean, obviously, you need to identify what the axes are. Mm-hmm. But I find that, you know, 
you have that cognitive dissonance where you want to look at the chart, but now you're reading the text and somebody's talking. You're, are you, you're missing it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, we have tables, right, for numbers. If you yeah. want to put numbers in text, and tables have their place. You know, that's something we talked about. That yeah. if uh, you need to look a value up and you need to know what that value is, number. you know, you don't want to go through a bar chart or a sure. line chart and try to find some number. Usually, a table's best if that's yeah. what you need to do. Have you ever so, done uh, uh, any like when you're playing with a table? Because I, I agree, sometimes you have to have a table. Do you use tricks like color highlighting or bolding or something to pop certain numbers out of the the, the uh, you can, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they, uh, they pop out. So I think if that's what your story is and that's what you want people to see, it mm-hmm. works. Yeah, but uh, you don't want to just add a bunch. You don't make every number a different color, right? Because then nothing pops. It's just like a right. headache. It's right. a headache. <laughs> no, I Looks like, like the... Walt Disney threw up all over. It. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> then nothing pops. The whole thing is just disgusting. I yeah. do like uh, you know like using red text to highlight a number. That this is the one behind the trend line, or this is you know uh, below expectations. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I think it's appropriate. Depends on your story. What is the point? What's the story you're trying to tell? Mm-hmm. If you want someone to see something, color works absolutely. Even so those are people. these are some of the pitfalls that people fall into when they're doing reporting. What are some other ones that might not be so obvious? Uh, well, um, you know, I guess putting data visualization aside and talking more about developers and reporting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reporting tends to be processor and memory intensive in general. So yeah, that's one that. I notice a lot of people, a lot of us, me included, kind of underestimate sometimes, right? Mm. Uh, well, reporting always seems <clears throat> to be an afterthought, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah very much. You build it last. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we then, get a lot of people these... on the phone going, dude, I got a ship by Friday. I need it now. What do you, you know? mean these tables aren't indexed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. There's what another mean? one. That's another good example. Right? Yeah. Lot, lots of data. You have to make sure that what is performance going to look like, especially in production, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you have so many other things going on with the data and it's highly transactional and now I want to look at all of the data or sort it. It's an issue. Well, we get into this architectural discussion of should we separate our reporting databases from our transactional exactly databases. Exactly what I was going to go for. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it depends. So you don't have to do it. And once you do that, then you have to deal with replication and keeping everything in sync. So yep. there's a cost. But, yeah, if performance is an issue and your databases are, you know, in use a lot or it's there's definitely reasons to do that you're talking to your customers a lot what do they do do you see that for example do you see that a lot of customers jumped on the soa bandwagon and designed their uh databases with a service oriented architecture which lends itself nicely to a separate reporting database no not really i mean actually i don't when we're talking to a lot of customers usually that's not it i mean they're not usually using a real hardcore soa i mean Mm -hmm. People it's the are, same I think people database. are busy, you know. So, and actually, I I went to a SQL Pass in Seattle recently, where you have these database gurus, right? Yep. And one of the things I don't know about you guys, but at sessions, I love to go up afterwards and listen to all the questions they're asking yes, the experts. Sure. Right? That's always the interesting part. That is. And it's so interesting to me that when people come up, databases deal with a lot of stuff for us, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they they are awesome. Actually, yeah. we don't have pro, as programmers, if yeah. we put it in a database, we don't have to worry about concurrency and transactions yeah, yeah. and all this stuff that is really complicated in architecture. Databases deal with it. Yeah. So I think one of the the things, especially when it comes to reporting, it's very easy to just take a report, point it at the database, and it works, man. I mean, you get aggregation and grouping yeah. and sorting, and all of this stuff is done for free, right? And you mm-hmm. don't really have to worry about it. So I think uh, most of our customers, if it works, they just go with it. Yeah. And once it stops working, they go, hmm, maybe I should separate these databases yeah, for do reporting. Else. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, the problem <clears> is that your typical you know, aggregate queries walking across a huge number of rows, yeah. and that impacts all of these little minute transactions that are going on at the same time. Yeah, you know, the, the two are literally diametrically opposed. Absolutely, yeah. 
and and you have to the indexes help in a database. I mean, I don't know. I've known databases forever, of course, yeah. but I went there and listened to the the problems people have. Yeah, and they're such just complex problems because databases are really complicated and they they're are. just awesome. They do so much for us. So there's been a, a big push lately for NoSQL databases, mm-hmm. you know, document-based storage, which if you're going to do reporting, you have to have a separate reporting database. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. find that a lot of your customers are doing that? Some of them? Um, is it working out? I mean, because what Richard's talking about here is diametrical opposition between an operational database and a reporting database. The the two are difficult to, to get the performance and the scalability for one and not for the other. Yeah. A- and for the other at the same time. Mm-hmm. So do you find that uh, people are moving towards these uh, NoSQL databases? You know, sometimes. Uh, and a lot of times we don't know it because they'll report right on like the objects. Right. From, you know, they'll report right on True. some odd form of the data and not even go directly back to the database. Yeah. So we are seeing a lot now where people... The database is not so clear. It might come from a service. It might come from some calculations they do in code, and it, and it can come from NoSQL, and it can change. You know, they can change it on the back end. Sure. So, uh, you we see some of that, but you know, NoSQL to me, again, all the the stuff you count on a on a SQL, what we call a SQL database, you know, a, a transactional relational database for. Actually, I think the power of NoSQL databases is they don't do that stuff. Right. I mean, they don't deal with transactions usually. Yeah. They don't deal with all the, the indexing and stuff that we count on databases for. So yeah. as kind of a side effect, they become really easy to deal with. They don't have a schema a lot of times, so we can just throw anything into them and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, they're really fast, right? We don't have to worry about contention in highly are. scalable concurrent environments. But uh, you you don't get all the benefits you get from a, a typical relational database. Well, and a lot of that turns into problems for reporting. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to reporting, I have looked at some of the. I like uh, you know I like databases like MongoDB and some mm-hmm. of these schema-less databases yeah. and document databases. But when you look at them for recording reporting, you know you have to write a map reduce function to to get an aggregate out of it. Yeah. it's not convenient at all. You can do it, but yeah. it's not convenient. You're m- much better off to you know. St- put a schema on it and throw it in a database for yeah, reporting. Yeah, I do like the idea, of, especially when you look at stuff like Mongo and Couch and so forth. Raven. Yeah. Raven, where they're great on the app side, mm-hmm. right? They're very quick to build on and so forth. And then in the background, you can go through that data and and turn it into relational data, load it into yeah. a database. But you're no longer making the user who's entering the data wait for you to do that. That's you're true, doing it right. asynchronously, independent of... The, the user actually working. I, I think that's a very logical progression. I mean, the, Absolutely. They, all these reporting tools are built for relational databases. That's how. That's what they're made for. I haven't mm-hmm. really seen reporting tools that were made that could be made for non-relational data. That's stars. interesting. That's interesting. I don't thought, even know yeah. if it's possible because it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Well, you, well, you guys hinted that you don't need to use a database as a data source. Right. What Absolutely. is the interface that you? Uh, so really, you, you know, I guess one thing we. You don't really have to use relational. Actually, when you do reporting, one of the things you typically do is you take this highly normalized database with no duplicates in it, right. and you actually denormalize it for reporting because you don't want to have to go like take uh, maybe a customer and he bought a product with a product ID that we normalized to get rid of the duplication. But actually, you just want to put it all together, and I and so. We, it's always a tabular view of data, though. Always, mm-hmm. somehow, even though you're taking it from a hierarchy or maybe relational, usually you want to put it in a table. 
And I think we do that because it's an easy way to think of data. I mean, spreadsheets, I think that's why spreadsheets work, right? Because it's a, it's a table. And at the end of the day, it's like yeah, I have columns and rows. And that's an easy way to think it's about it. It's an electronic data. form of a piece of graph paper, too, right? Or ledger yeah, paper. Yeah. Like, this is a form we've worked in for a long time. Absolutely. So back to, you know, do we need, do we report on relational? Actually, I don't think we do. Uh, reporting in relational never really worked out too well. But we do do it kind of on, we think of data in a tabular way. Mm -hmm. And and I think that works. I think well, that's a useful way to kind of, if you can take any kind of data and put it in a table, then it's easier to understand it and imagine how to report on it. Well, when I was asking about interfaces, I meant like programming interfaces. Are you, can you report on an iList collection, for yeah. example? Sure, Active Is Reports, that, man, anything. anything. iList, an array of data, just anything. I mean, anything. essentially we have a collection of fields which is kind of your columns, right? And then you can just shove values in it, and it'll pull them out of anywhere. anywhere and that's code just an option from. to passing a connection string to a database and saying, go against that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you can point it at a database, and it'll pull it out. But uh, a lot of customers, like I mentioned, are reporting on objects, right? And yeah. we'll even reflect on the objects and pull the property values out. Yeah, right? yeah. But uh, you get this hierarchy of objects, right? And when you want to report on it, you, you do want to see it as flat. So at some point, you know, ultimately, we always give you these tools to get data from anywhere, but I always think of it as... How do we put it in a, ta a tabular format, you know, to, to report on it? I think that, that's an that's easy always where you're going to get to. I think so. It's just I a think question so. of how you compose that. I mean, it's, it might be a SQL statement. It might be uh, a, you know a, a map reduce walking through a sure. set of data to consolidate it onto that tab. But yeah. one way or the other, you end up with a grid of data. Yeah, absolutely. Does I Metro in so. uh, WinRT pose at current, you know, in its current in you know incarnation? Does it pose a challenge to you guys in terms of what that client is going to look like in active reports? You know, I, I don't know. I've been asking everybody here about, you know, what do they think of Metro and yeah. WinRT? And uh, I guess, to, does it pose a challenge? I don't think so because, you know, I think one of the good things about it is you can use .NET, you can use HTML and JavaScript, mm -hmm. at least on the client. And, of course, we generate all these different formats. Sure. Uh, so I don't think it does, actually. And... It's still web-based. It's still this uh, uh, concept that we have a server that's going to do the heavy-duty work and the database work, right? Sure. And then on the front end, we just need to show a different view of it. So you're just spinning out so. HTML. There isn't going to be a Metro-style client uh, for reporting. I mean, we'll probably do, we will probably do that when okay. there's users for it and it makes sense for our customers. We'll do that. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it won't be a, a huge departure from what we do today. You know, we're, we're going to just like other developers. You know. We have well, forms and Silverlight yeah. and stuff, so it's the same tools we That's already know. That's pretty much what I thought too. I'm, uh, you know, all the standard XAML controls are there, you right. know, for for the stuff that you want in a report viewer. Right, and yeah. we have a Silverlight viewer that does the pagination and thumbnails and yeah. whatever. So, uh, what will make sense probably at some point to kind of repurpose that and fit better into the to the client. Yeah, the, you know, the interesting bit in this when you add Metro to the equation, you think about a line of business app. It's the the widget, you know, the thing you click on. Because you can actually put data into that now. The yeah, charm? Yeah. Well, not the charm. The charms come in from the right. But, you know, the, the, what used to be an icon yeah. is now they call a widget. Oh, yeah. And, and you could actually have data in that. The so, tile is what you're Yeah, that tile yeah. could actually reflect new information. So I just like the idea that it's running in the background, maybe checking against the reporting system to pull out a significant trend of some kind. Because that's what I want to throw on that Absolutely, icon. Yeah. I'm, you know, the, I look at that widget as something to say, pick me, pick me. I have something important to tell you. Yeah, like, right. Click on me. Yeah. And it's the reporting system that's going to find that information. And then you put that on the widget. The trick is consolidating it down to what fits on that little widget. It's like two words or yeah. or, or, a, or an image of some kind, a little yeah. graph going up or graph going down. Like, 
that to me seems really exciting actually is yet another metaphor for data visualization on sure. the widget yeah. to prompt people to action that you need to go in here and do something about this That's a good point I think so yeah. it's almost like metro as a dashboard it is a yeah, dashboard, is right? A dashboard. I mean, all these little tiles have some information, and it's all in one screen. Yeah. And it's actionable. You want to move on. You know, when I, when I, need, I think oh, about I a line of business that. apps built through that interface, that's why I do it. Because now I break, decompose my app into all these different segments, and I'm looking at those widgets to figure out where I should go next. Mm-hmm. I, I can't mean. wait to see active analysis for Metro with Touch. I think that you guys have something there. Well, I mean, I love that product. I well, think, awesome I think products, that yeah. that's a perfect example of a line of, it's not really a line of business application, but it's a business enterprise app mm-hmm. that would totally home run on the tablet. Because, yeah, there's been a lot of work in terms of that sort of slicing and dicing for analytics, trying to drill into that thing. Yeah. I, I just wonder if it's better served by touch. It's more natural for people to use touch versus a mouse. Hmm. I don't know. I think they're different things, you know. Uh, so a lot of the, some people say these are consumption devices, these mobile devices, yeah. and some are, you know, where you create things. Uh, so it depends. I, I think you, we do have to kind of shift so that we're not really exploring and looking. We're not going to do our work on a, on a, on a Metro device, I yeah. don't think. I but it is very good that it's a dashboard and, oh, I have an yeah, alert. I, I need to jump here and yeah. I got something I got to do. I, I, I'm already <clears throat> imagining what active analysis is going to look like. I mean, with touch. Maybe not on a small tablet, maybe on a, you know, a touch smart or something mm-hmm. like that on a desk. But you're looking for an application that's an enterprise application that Metro would really benefit. I think that's it. Well, that's, that seems very minority report at that point. Yeah. Sort of I drilling, mean, sort of dragging, big screen, drilling around on data. Dragging the components from different, you know, and filters and stuff and having the stuff just change and 3D and all that. Oh, man, that's... Really fun. Minority Report. Yeah, we just got to go straight to holograms. Yeah, got to go right <laughs> to holograms, yeah. Well, yeah, we've been part of the conversation I think it's been this whole week is, is it going to be touch or is it going to be gesture? It's mm-hmm. both. You know, yeah, that, that gesture is just an extension of, you know, touch is, is a subset of gesture. The gesture can do it at all. Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe you have touch for the machine that's in front of you and gestures for the monitors that are up on the wall. Right. Or whatever they are on your desk. That's seriously Minority Report. Absolutely. <laughs> surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. I did the moving <clears throat> to Metro talk uh, just an hour ago, and this is why I wasn't at your talk. Uh, um, okay. But somebody asked me today if it's possible, because he saw what Internology did with uh, communicating between... Uh, what Internology did is they created a Connect interface for Metro. And they did this by talking to Connect in a service on the desktop side, and then using sockets to talk to the Metro app and getting that Connect data over sockets. And, uh, and it works, and it's great. The reason that it won't ever ship is because you're making connection to the same machine, and that's not allowed. Mm. I think that's the restriction. Yeah, but 
But, but eventually there'll be a Connect SDK for Metro. But you could connect to another machine, obviously. So what this guy was saying was, I want to use the tablet as a remote control. And I want to be able to control something in desktop mode on another monitor. Is that possible? What the answer is, no, but you'll be able to connect to another machine through WCF or through the cloud. Maybe they'd meet up in the cloud and you could have your remote control for another machine using the tablet because that's what you have in front of you. Sure. And then I can walk up to a machine. It can understand who I am. It can connect me and I can just start manipulating that machine with my tablet. Sure. I thought that was a brilliant uh, creative use of the technology. And it was just an idea. He was asking the question, can it be done? But, you know, the, all of these new possibilities change what you guys can do. And I don't mean you, Grape City. Vendors in general, software vendors. It changes what we can do. And uh, it's not we're not limited by that box, that one screen anymore. We, yeah, absolutely. We're interacting with multiple devices. Absolutely. Very, very cool. Yeah. Let me jump back into reporting for a bit here because there's a... We've always had this idea that we want to let the users build their own reports. I've just always found it, it's a train wreck. It is, yeah. Yeah. They, they, so, especially when you think of it from a developer perspective, yeah. like Active Reports, right? Developers want to control everything. They want to mm-hmm. write code in an event. They want to control everything with code. That's how they, they just love it. And sure. that's why they love Active Reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then you have end users who don't know code. They don't even know SQL. They don't even know how to get the data in yeah. the report. Yeah. They have a completely different perspective on reporting. Uh, so, and that's, we firmly believe that they need two different designers. And mm-hmm. that's why we've been building our newest product, Active Report Server, mm-hmm. which is a, a business user oriented designer where they don't need to write code, but it still considers the developer on the back end that they can upload their old reports to it. They can control the data and how the database looks for those uh, end users. Yeah. They can map the database and hide things and make the, the tables or the attributes look different to the end user. Yeah, you don't um, want to let the end user make any kind of join because they'll mess it up. Well, yes. Actually, we'll take care of it, man. Yeah, so you so protect we have, them from it. We have a data model, yeah. and you can control the relationships and how they work right. in the database. But and they're what done they with see. English, right? I'm sorry? But they're done with language, English, not yeah. asterisk equals. Absolutely. They're yeah. done more like instead of creating a... You know, developers think, okay, I need to create a query and get the data. Yep. And actually, business users tend to think, okay, I have a chart. And I yeah. want it to look this way. So actually, we took a different approach where start with a chart or start with a tabular and just a table in a report and just start putting the data in it. And you might start off with customer and then yeah. work your way down to that customer's orders mm-hmm. and put it all in the same report. But we, since we have this data model, we understand the relationships and we know how to, we know that, ah, this needs aggregated and we need to group by this. Right. That's what they want to see. Yeah. So we put it all together for them. And in the back end, we're building that query with the joins. In a, in a smarter way. But developers, they don't want to design reports this way, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. they want to report on objects, and right. they know better how to get the data. Sure. They get it from weird things. But right? as a developer, when I'm setting up this self-service module, I can say, well, these are the joins that are allowed. I could I could restrict those things, yes. sort yeah. of simplify it, too. You don't want to give the user a huge list of tables that just scare them. Right. Like before, we mentioned that databases are normalized. A developer, right. DBA, we have reasons to do this. Yes. It makes sense to do this. Yeah. But for a business user, it doesn't make any sense. Now, you, sh- you show a business user as a user a many-to-many joining table, you just right. it's blow a, their minds. Absolutely. And that's an example of something where actually that's a relationship. Um, you know, yeah. a, a join table is a relationship between two different tables, right. and we actually just take it out automatically. We yeah. can identify things like that and yeah. remove it 
or you can actually denormalize the database right there. So you might have an orders. You want to show that your business user orders. Well, they want to see customer as part of the order, and you can right. actually just take it and put it all together. And again, mm-hmm. put it all in one data set for the, so you for can the business tell user to if use. By the, you can tell by the relationship and the data what type of join they're going to use. Right. And, and do it for them. Right. And the yeah. admin or the developer can go and even customize the view of it for the, yeah. for the business user and maybe uh, denormalize it and, and hide those relationships. But we'll know how to generate the query and get the right data into the report. So is it something like a report server really oriented for another web app? Uh, it is It is definitely oriented for the web yeah. because the designer is all browser-based. Mm-hmm. Any browser, no, nothing is to install on the client. So uh, th- uh, it is very much web-oriented. And again, we, we talked about scalability. The web presents interesting challenges for reporting. Yeah. You have now, instead of everyone running a report on their desktop, like we used to do in client server on the web, all those reports are running on the server. Right. The, the server, you know, even yeah. on the service actually is a better way to think of it. Yeah. Right? And we'll actually, it'll take care of the, the scalability, load balancing, caching. I mean, developers have to deal with all these things today. So now we're actually giving them the server to, to help them deal with that and specific for reporting, mm. which is different. I mean, if you think about an application, we do caching of a, of a part of a page or something. But it's all different type of caching you want to do for reports. You know, there's caching of the data, there's caching of the document. Uh, it's entirely different. Uh, well, and I think part it. of this then gets into the sort of tuning of it. Like you, you're going to get this Monday morning crush mm-hmm. where everybody Absolutely. shows up to work and runs all the reports at the same time. Absolutely, and yeah. That reporting service normally has a pretty good life is suffering for the next two hours to try to <laughs> yeah, crank sure. all yeah. these things out at once. Yeah, common thing. So we, you know, scheduling is one way to deal with that. Yeah. You can actually schedule a report and make it cached automatically. Yeah, run it uh, at email 6 o'clock. It to yeah, and run it at 6 o'clock in the morning. Don't wait right. till 9 when everybody Absolutely. arrives. Run that report an hour earlier, you know, yeah. and it makes all the difference Life in the world. Life is easier. I, yeah. I tend to think that if I was designing a system from scratch today, I might want to try something like RavenDB, and I might want to have a separate SQL-based reporting database and try to write that code that you know, keeps that, that gets the data over to SQL Server, uh, you know, in a semi real time or maybe with a queue or something like that. It's the same kind of stuff we were talking about on the cloud panel last night. I, because I tend to think that you're, you're compromising on both when you're using the database for both. Whereas if we can think about that replication layer and, you know, getting that data into a reporting database, um, then we don't have any of these crazy restrictions on our application database. Right. It's, I mean, yeah. we don't have SQL for the web, right? Right. I right. mean, SQL is just a language, but actually it's really easy to use in databases and expressive. We can make it do a lot of things. But yeah. on the web, when you're getting data, you're getting it from RavenDB or MongoDB right. or some web service, which is really an API. And yeah. it's not standardized at all. It's not diff- I mean, it's standard in terms of an API, but there is no standard way to get data and group it and filter it like we do from databases. I also think right. that... There are units of work and reporting that are different than the transactional side. I mean, every transaction is important in, in the OLTP side. But typically, when you run a report, you want to report for the whole day. Absolutely. You don't actually want to report on a partial day. Absolutely. So this idea of separating you know, that RavenDB side from the relational database, you don't need all that real time. You need it by the end of the day, the of the have day. that whole day in the reporting system yeah. so that it's able to be reported on. In fact, I don't want to let you run a report on a partial day. It's confusing Absolutely. data. Absolutely. Or maybe do it overnight so I get the report in the morning. Yeah, it's ready. Right. Yeah. But I think there's this, this idea of the relevant granularity of reportable data. You know, maybe you do have a business that reports hour to hour. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll think that way. But I think most think report day to day and even month to month. Like, is that, you know, does running your accounts receivable halfway through the month actually make sure. sense? You want the whole month. 
or quarter to quarter or fiscal quarter to calendar quarter. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. The, so the, the interval the, is important. The, the, the cadence of how you update and gather that data on the reporting side is different than the way it's done in the transactional side. Yes, absolutely. And usually a report is an aggregation. Usually you want to start with a big summary of something, you yeah. know, and kind of work your way from there. Usually the yeah. transactions aren't important. That's true. Absolutely. That's yeah, interesting. <clears throat> so what's next for you guys? What are you, what are you working on that, uh, that you can't talk about? <laughs> uh, what can't I talk about? Well, we just started talking about Active Report Server, and that's yeah. what I devote myself to now. Really, is is this? Yeah. Uh, and you know, this is a definitely a developer-oriented tool, and IT staff, you know, that we we're trying to help them. This all came out of their feedback. Yeah. But at the same time, now we're catering to business users and taking the technology we have from decades, literally, man, it's been a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to make it useful for business users and. Again, they're, they're a different audience. They need different set of tools. And uh, so what's next for us is really to, to take create more pool, tools for those business users so that uh, we don't have to burden the developer so much. And hopefully it'll benefit everybody. And, and definitely web, you know, more. Uh, we're talking about data uh, in the web and different data sources not always being a relational database. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say I can't talk about that that yeah. we're going to do next. <laughs> awesome. Well, Scott, thank you very much for talking to us. Good. Thanks. You guys thanks are doing great me. work, and, and you obviously know your stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Fun. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got